Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Let me welcome to the show. She is back by popular demand. She is, uh, I think she's a political strategist, also a scientist. She's an election analyst. Let me welcome back Rachel Bittacoffer. Hi. Hey, Karen. Great to be back. Great to see you. Good to, good to have you back. Thank you for coming through. I'm hearing a little feedback, though, Smith, so uh, I don't know what we do with that. All right. Do you have headphones, Rachel, while we wait? Cause I, yeah, we had some tech problems on the other device. I do have some headphones, but I'd have to come back in and out to get them on, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Let's see what happens. Okay. Um, first, first things first, I, I had a lovely talk with the governor of Maryland last week and he's amazing. And I think he's going to do all of the things, but again, we're, he said, he's going to do a lot of things. Let's wait and see. We're going to wait and see. And then if the things aren't being done, y'all live in Maryland, call up, let's hold people accountable. Um, we got a couple of presidential announcements. First, Nimrata Nikki Haley. I said that she's, uh, a wild card, but I also think that she's not to be ignored. I think she she's potentially dangerous for a lot of reasons. I sit here every day in community with people from all over the all over the country and some all over the globe as well. And there's a there's a a, a tone that she strikes that I think is potentially very powerful for her in that Republican Party. What are your thoughts on Nimrata Nikki Haley? Yeah, I mean, number one, I'm just going to preface, uh, you know, my comments by by pointing out to the audience. Um, I am a political scientist. I was a professor for several years before I left to do the stuff I do now for pro-democracy work. Um, and because of that, uh, my area of expertise actually was political behavior, campaigns and elections. And my dissertation was on presidential nominations. I also wrote a book on uh, presidential nom- elections from the 2016 cycle that talks about the strategy and mechanics from a political science point of view of how these contests play out. And so that wasn't um, so much about uh, talking about how awesome I am. I just want folks to understand when I analyze, uh, giving an analysis on the status of the Republican primary, what perspective I'm bringing to the table to do that with, because it will be a little bit different than what you hear in contemporary or popular media. And that is, um, to answer your question, Karen, uh, Nikki Haley does have decent name ID from her time as UN ambassador and being kind of, you know, in the spotlight, but it is still quite low in terms of, of the national, you know, electorate. So when we think about this contest and all contests, so the one before this um, was the Democratic primary, obviously, and it is, is very similar scenario. You had many candidates declare and enter, but two big ones, you know, people who really had their eye on at the beginning. And it was not a coincidence that those two people were the ones that it really came down to at the end. And of course, I'm talking about Biden and Sanders, because um, they were the best known quantities with the highest name ID going in. And and so Nikki Haley is, is decently positioned for name ID, but really we're talking about three candidates that have um, exceptionally high name ID. And that is, of course, of course, Trump. Um, the second is DeSantis. 
And the third is Mike Pence because he was the vice president. So, you know, if we follow the traditional trajectory of name ID being the most important predictor heading into the cycle, and there's only one person who's ever upset that his name is Barack Obama. I was going to bring that up. (laughs) Okay. Here's what I, I, and again, respect. Um, And no, you, you, you earn the right to um, sit here, which is why I love having you on because you do, uh, scientifically think about these things. Here's what I see with Nimrata Nikki Haley. Similar to Barack Obama, she, her visage, her background will galvanize people who don't typically vote, who are American citizens, who have felt disenfranchised, unheard, etc. So I'm talking about the Southeast Asian community uh, in this, in this country. And there's a, a large number throughout this country and they don't vote. Asians from China and, and Japan, and they don't typically vote. That's not a large voting block in this country. Women, right? So we saw 53, 54% of women voted for Donald Trump. If they had another option, they would. And I think Don Lemon actually helped her by saying that, you know, she's out, uh, out of her prime. She's out of her prime because I feel like that there are a lot of women, white women in this country who don't necessarily want to vote for Trump, but they don't have too many options. The CRT, anti-CRT, anti, you know, this country's not racist, that crowd who who may not also be racist and aren't in their minds aligned with the Donald Trump, Nikki Haley gave them an out. I don't think this country's racist. I come from another, you know, so they, I think a lot of white folk voted for Obama to prove to themselves that they weren't racist. And he was an acceptable, acceptable black. He was someone, someone that black folk felt comfortable with. I remember having an argument on a golf course with a white man that told me that Barack Obama was mostly white, raised by white people. And that's why he felt comfortable voting for him because his mother was white and his grandparents who raised him were white. And I, and this is in the South. This is in Florida. And I was like, wow, that's how y'all. Okay. All right. That's interesting. I think Nikki Haley gives people an out that Trump, Pence and DeSantis cannot. And she's again, a woman. And I think this country wants to vote for a woman. Hillary was just not the right woman. And I don't think Kamala Harris is either. Although I think she's more qualified than everybody running. But again, we got to be like Wes Moore, you know, the road scholar, military tough, you know, one, you know, parent, father died. Got to have all of the things in business, philanthropists, all you got to be everything (laughs) to everybody in order to win. If you are black, but if you're other, I get an out now, you know, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, you know, I feel okay voting for these brown people because they don't really care about being brown. And that's what I like. I need a person that knows their place. I feel like she feeds that. I mean, here's the thing is if she survived the Republican primary and became the nominate nominee, I think she would be a much stronger nominee than Donald Trump for many of the reasons that you've cited, especially in a world, I mean, the old world where she'd be allowed to position herself as Glenn Youngkin did in 2021 in Virginia as a new moderate, more, you know, racially, um, rep- you know, uh, uh, you know, less dogmatic on, on race, right? Um, I don't think that's going to work for her at all. I think the problem is that in the t- general, when we get to the general, I think Democrats have learned how to putt now in terms of messaging and framing. And whoever the nominee is, is going to be saddled with the MAGA extremism that they're the banner, you know, um, 
bannerman of basically. So I do think that she would be a strong general election. I think any Republican, Frank, I'm trying, I'm here to tell folks, <laughs> Donald Trump, if he's the nominee and he, and he could be, if he's not indicted, will be competitive to win any they could nominate satan himself and that person is going to be competitive to win in 2024 and that's why really we're working so hard right now to keep people on our side focused on mission critical which is to hold the presidency and to ensure that the republican party doesn't have the power to start making significant changes to our constitutional system of government which they can do with the stroke of a pen frankly um, uh, if you study other countries, <laughs> you said Satan himself could be nominated and have a chance to win in this country. That says a lot yeah, about where we are. Like, there is literally nothing that a re- the Republican Party's self-policing mechanism is broken. It's very robust still in the Democratic Party. And that's why Dom Lemon, it's not in the Democrats, it's the media, but is in so much trouble. OK, because he could he could very well see his professional career completely over off of that sexist comment that he made right uh in the republican orbit none of that self-police is is possible so unless there's an external way to hold them accountable the criminal justice system provides that the impeachment process does not because it does not bound republicans to vote on the evidence they have absolutely no obligation to vote based on any of the evidence in either of the impeachment trials so you know we're really talking about a political party that is willing and and capable and has shown us has proven this time and time again by blowing over every red line you thought that they had over the last five years um capable of that kind of uh, um you know uh power grab should they win the presidency in 24 and i think we're seeing israel and nayu um you know a real precursor of what we're going to see here if we let a republican win in 24. okay a couple of things um supreme court is ripe to decide if the IRS can secretly access our bank records without our permission. Fresh off of an injection of $45 billion to ramp up its efforts, the IRS is calling on the U.S. Supreme Court to allow its agents to secretly obtain financial records without ever notifying the account holders. Although the case, which will be argued in March, centers around an arcane statutory dispute It will have massive implications for the Fourth Amendment rights of taxpayers nationwide. If the Supreme Court sides with the IRS, the ruling would grant the agency effectively unfettered power to seek the complete financial records of anyone with even a tenuous connection to a delinquent taxpayer without notice. Elections have consequences. What what are your thoughts on this, Rachel, um, as far as the Supreme Court? Do you think they're going to side with the IRS? This is a very complicated case and I don't know a lot about Karen, to be honest with you. It's not one that I've been tracking um, pretty, you know, extensively. But here's what I'll tell you. It's a complex case for this conservative majority. Uh, And I also want to talk a little bit about historically what conservative justices and liberal justices used to stand for before it was redefined under the modern framework of, of, you know, you know, political liberalism and conservatism as, as your audience and yourself will understand it. What the court used to be defined on conservative, liberal, conservative siding with the power of the state liberal siding with the power of individuals, the people, okay? Mm -hmm. So when you think about it in that context, like we should see a very skeptical conservative majority giving, um, I think Gorsuch particularly, giving this kind of governmental power. um, And we may see see a surprising decision in that. 
Okay. All right. Um, Ukraine, the president of the United States States was in Ukraine. Uh, Joe Biden actually said some things. Uh, and I think we have a clip from, uh, his visit to Ukraine. Uh, let's play it. Oh, he was in Poland. Okay. He was in Poland. All right. Here's what he said in Poland. Warsaw. We're seeing again today what the people of Poland and the people across Europe saw for decades. Appetites of the autocrat cannot be appeased. They must be opposed. Autocrats only understand one word. No, no, no. No, you will not take my country. No, you will not take my freedom. No, you will not take my future. And I'll repeat tonight what I said last year in the same place. A dictator bent on rebuilding an empire will never be able to ease the people's love of liberty. Brutality will never grind down the will of the free. And Ukraine, Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. Never. Is Ukraine a political failure for the Democrats? 866-801-8255. I'm going to put that out, and then I'm going to ask you. Rachel Bittacoffer is here. She is a scientist, political scientist, elections analyst. I have thoughts, but I want to know what you feel because this this is um, a very touchy subject for a lot of Americans right now who are going through some things and can't reconcile with the amount of money we're, we sent over there. While I, you know, we can say we don't want Russia to spread into our NATO allies and you know France, Poland, all of that being up for grabs if if we allow Ukraine to fall. I guess is this a political failure for this administration to take this stance? Um, absolutely not. Uh, let me preface this by saying I've been, I'm not an expert in fascism, totalitarianism, World War II, the Third Reich, but I have been deploying the tools that I use to become an expert in my, my terminal degree, my PhD, to study those things for the last few years. And I embarked on that study because I wanted to feel better about the current conditions of the Republican Party here in America and where they might be heading and taking this country with them. And instead, I actually felt significantly worse. So when I listened to the Warsaw Poland speech um, from Biden, I'm also bioed by that the histor- a very you know, high-powered historical understanding of what happened in World War II. And we've many times over the years, decades even, heard you know, people refer to post-war Europe, post-war America. But now I have a newfound appreciation for what that actually means. And I can't stress enough how important it is that we don't allow a dictator to invade a sovereign nation in, Ukraine, in Europe, Eastern Europe. As Biden pointed out, the appeasement strategy that was tried with the um, uh, Chamberlain administration in and coming out of the Baldwin administration, because the rise of Hitler it overlapped three different PMs in, in the UK, and and uh, the, their different handling of that really put us in a in a very bad spot for World War II. So I, there's absolutely no difference to me between democracy here and democracy in Ukraine, and any threat to the peace of, of the continent in Europe is a threat to our national security as well. So you know, from my perspective, we could not possibly support Ukraine enough, and I can't be more 
proud of the Dem Democrats and the Democratic uh, President Joe Biden for going and, and making such a dangerous jaunt to go into a war zone where, where there's no U.S. troop presence to really illustrate how important this fight is for every lover of democracy, whether you're born here or born in Ukraine, it is still our, it is their fight is our fight. When I asked about the failure politically, I'm talking messaging. I feel like I'm hearing a lot of we've sent $800 million to, or however, you know, whatever the number is to a country and there are people here who are unhoused and starving. You know, you're hearing, you know, that the prices of gas and eggs over here, yet we have money to spend to send over to Ukraine. We're sending them weapons. We're sending all of this stuff over to Ukraine. But what about the people here? I'm hearing that and both on both sides, by the way. So, that's why I asked the question, because if if the Republicans and some Democrats or people who identify as liberal are saying the same thing, that could be problematic for this administration moving forward. Oh, but it's a very discreet minority. So it's about 20 percent of the population, maybe 20 percent of the Republican Party that holds that position. And the rest understands the importance of global security. OK, so is there a messaging that can be louder? Maybe because I'm. We, we keep coming up to this, right? And when we talk about Atlanta last time you were here and, you know, uh, Senator Warnock retaining his seat, it wasn't messaging that helped retain the seat. It was black women in Atlanta, in, in Georgia, in, in the greater uh, areas around Atlanta that showed up in numbers, black people, not just black women, but I say black women because of Stacey Abrams, Higher Heights and, and uh, Latasha and Cliff and Black Voters Matter and all of the efforts made by people on the ground there. Not necessarily, I know Jamie, Jamie Harrison got a lot of, of, of accolades, but it was those organizations in Georgia that held the door, right? And so, and they're going to hold the door again, I think, in 2024. That, that could be a nice slogan, hold the door in 2024. That said, I'm just, you know, as we have some time now, Rachel, to, to kind of tee up, what is it that we should be doing? How should we be thinking? What should be the, the, the messaging that we, on a loop, the way they are CRT and all this other BS that has nothing to do with anything? What should we be doing? I would disagree. I mean, CRT doesn't have anything to do with anything. It's not a real thing, right? But what right. it has done is it has been created, used, and deployed. And I and I actually lay out in my book that drops this fall exactly how they did it. Um, what what it has done is it is contributing to an overall narrative that's being pounded on right wing media, Fox News, all the way down. And that is that in today's America, modern America. The group that is most discriminated upon is white Americans. And just today I was tweeting about this and showing in polling data this intensive effect we're seeing in Republican opinion about how white people are being prosecuted. And I mentioned that be and because we're talking about Europe, we're talking about the global struggle for freedom. But, but when you ask me what should we be doing, we should be making it crystal clear every single day on every platform that we have that we are facing a democratic crisis in the United States like we have not seen since 1860 and that it is a it is a crisis that has its roots all the way back in slavery and it is the final thrust of white supremacy coming to a head here in America you know coming uh, using a bunch of tools that just serendipitously are laying around we have um, ideological allegiances to our amendments second amendment fourth amendment first amendment whatever it is we're very ideological we don't regulate 
uh, political speech and media speech the way that other democracies do. And that has exposed us and left us vulnerable to a really important moment in American politics where I, I'm, t I'm here to tell folks we're facing, not me, I am I am a privileged white lady, okay? Educated, some money, some connections. It's not about me. It's about the people who are listening to the show, average people who will not be able to flee if we fall into fascism. So when you ask me, what is the message? The message is this. The Republican Party is coming for us. It's coming for trans people. It's coming for gay people. It's coming for black people. It's coming for Latino people. It's going to get us all under one banner of woke leftism because they've redefined the conversation and fight for racial and gender equality as an attack on white people. And they're, they're building up an army of propaganda to use against us. So to me, the message isn't about individual policy issues as important as they all are, as important as you know, all, every, that pressure, get pressure from everybody, guns, climate, uh, racial equality, uh, gender equality, all of these things though tie back to one thing. Do we have a democracy where you know popular will and vote gets to determine policy or do we have a one party autocracy? If we do not stop what the Republican party has planned for 2024 and beyond, then we're not gonna be dealing with problems that are a whole nature, much more severe and much more deadly for our most marginalized people. And that's what keeps me motivated every day to talk about democratic emergency, what the Republican party is doing and how important it is that we have, we make sure that we're talking about what they're doing because the media doesn't do it for us they're not going to do it for us. So if we aren't focused on what they're doing and making sure average people know what's coming, then no one is going to know. 866-801-8255. Rachel Bittacoffer is here, elections analyst, political scientist. What's the name of the book that's coming out? So it's called Hit Them Where It Hurts, How to Save Democracy by Beating Republicans at Their Own Game. And it is taking my strategy, negative partisanship strategy, and explaining first off, number one, that, you know, as much as we, I love Karen Hunter's show and, and her audience, uh, you guys are intellectually not representative of the average American. Average Americans uh, don't read the news. They certainly don't listen to podcasts like this, but they don't read even broad news and ABC, NBC type news and um, have a huge, therefore have a huge information blind spot that our system has, has uh, neglected to um, work around. And so this book is you know, first half it is about explaining why it is that, you know, your political world, your politics, this this world that we live in is not representative of how average Americans go about their day um, and living, you know, with information and voting decisions. And then um, explaining how the Republican Party has been able to whoop us with less people for a long time by designing a messaging system that utilizes that knowledge. Uh, I want you to say this again, uh, by the way, the Karen Hunter show audience, the urban view audience, the live radio audience is not a podcast it's a live radio. We're on Monday through Friday, three to six. This audience is not representative of the, of the people who are actually going out to vote because they are informed. They care. They're engaged. They're, they're reading. They're out there registering to vote. They're, they're registering other people to vote. They vote. This is not the norm. Is that what you're saying? This is not the norm. So we cannot judge what is yes. happening based on what we are doing because there's 100, 150, 60 million people who are doing something different or not at all. 
one is like us, okay? Nobody is. So like one of the reasons that I, I was able to articulate this argument so cleanly for the book, you know, these last couple of years of trying to become a, you know, going from an analyst to a, a strategist has been, you know, a learning curve. But one of the things I kept running into when I was like, hey, we listen, we need to tell people that these people are extreme. Well, everybody knows that is what people would kick back to me. And I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> not everybody knows that in fact like in this you know these big scandals that you know so much about that are so important if you go around the grocery store talk to your barista talk to the grocery clerk talk to the construction worker or whatever somebody you're idling with just probe them and you will find very quickly they don't know who the speaker of the house is okay they might have known the old one because she was there for like decades right but they don't know who kevin mccarthy is and if you don't know who kevin mccarthy is then you don't know about any of the crazy things that are happening so dispelling the assumption that everyone's like us when almost no one is like us and you know i happen to think we're pretty great people because we are informed engaged activists who are registering people to vote it's just that we have to really set up a calm system that meets people where they are and they are not there okay and i know you're right i teach media at hunter college i gave a pop quiz last thursday to two classes of mostly media majors and the question was who's the speaker of the house one child one child in each class one child that is in media Yes, in college. You know, this is so like, oh, my God, thank you. You couldn't have possibly come up with a more affirming thing. I'm telling you guys, I know this because I did the same thing. Karen, I was so excited to teach. And like, you know, and then I get in there and I realize, oh, even the kids that are uber successful, had good grades and they're in college and they have all the advantages of life. They literally, they, like, I, I remember when Ralph Northam was all in trouble for his old school blackface photo. Right. It was a big scandal, okay? And all the national pollsters came in. I was still polling in Virginia. And they came in and they polled, how do you feel about this scandal? And I'm like, dude, that's a major mistake because I guarantee you half of the elected the registered voter population, not the adult population, the registered voter population of Virginia has no idea. They're, they don't even hear this scandal, right? And so I use my survey to quantify that component part. And so, um, you know, none of my students, there was no student I talked to on campus out of like probably 200 that I asked about Ralph Northam's scandal. None of them knew who Ralph Northam was. They all just gave me a blank look, huh? Like they had never heard that story. And for us, it was all consuming, right? So it's really important for folks to, to try to understand the, the, the most important thing you can do with your, your verbal comms, your comms, is to tell regular people what is actually happening. You know what else they couldn't, uh, that they got wrong on this pop quiz? Yep. I asked them to name, to name four sitting Supreme Court justices, just four, not all nine. Only one student out of two classes got four. Only one could name four. Every class I ever had was two. And that's why it made it easy for me to leave my professor job and do this. <laughs> like, what's the point? Y'all, I'm teaching <laughs> ignorant ass people who don't care. The, the point is, is that we're, you know, if we survive this democratic crisis, the, what we need to do is develop and, and instill civic culture in our population. And it's not, it, it is an access issue, guys. I talk about this in the book, so I, you know, I don't want to ruin the whole book, but I talk about, yes, there is access issues. They make it hard as fuck for poor people to vote for a reason, okay? But there is also about a third of well-incomed 
educated and or right because you can be higher income with no education especially in the trades which is why people should look at the trades as, as viable opportunities especially if they're engineering and adapt but in any case you can you can see you know right then and there that that, that it's um um you know there's there's no there's nobody there there's about a third of, of this educated richer you know happy america that just doesn't engage at all uh, at all like okay. they don't vote they don't register to vote they don't care they don't read they actually think that they're morally superior to you if you ever meet one of these people in the na- in nature which i suggest that you do i do it all the time you know you'll you'll they'll say oh, do you, oh i don't vote yeah no I, i'm above all of that and then in their mind they are actually they they feel morally smug that they don't participate in the cesspool system and i agree the system is a cesspool, okay? There's many cesspooly things about the system. There's many great things too. We don't talk about them, but you know, there's many cesspool things about the system. But the idea that we're culturing generations of Americans to feel like that it's morally, you know, principled to totally ignore your own system of government and neglect it, all of the responsibilities that go with your rights, th- that's bad, right? So I. I hope I'm hoping that we can get through this this emergent crisis, the, the five alarm fire that we're in. And then if we do, what we have to do is get serious about K through 12 and, and, and especially giving children whose parents did not vote, do not vote an opportunity to have that socialization happen. Because that actually, other than education, Karen, when I give speeches just like you do with, in this room or on the uh, show today, I, I, I'll ask the room, how many of you guys had parents that voted? Because I always know if they're attending my event, it's politics and interest in politics that they're there for, and that their parents taught them that interest through socialization right. through voting. Definitely. And I'll tell you what, 99 out of 100 hands will go up in every room I'm in, anytime, any day, every time I've asked that question cold. And so we really, we have hope, but we do need very much so to focus right now on the threat that the Republican Party is posing to our democratic institutions and to the rule of law, because without those things, we cannot fix any of the other problems. Rachel Bittacoffer, Rachel, B-I-T-E, Bite, C-O-F-E-R is where you can follow her. Before I let you go, just one, two, three, what is the threat? Lay it out. What is the threat in 2024? What are they trying to do? Republicans want to take control of the federal government, and then they're going to use it to control the courts. They're going to get rid of civil service protections and politicize the bureaucracy, and that's it. Game over. You're in the Third Reich. How? How? Can you can you stick around? Because I, I don't know. All right. So they win the presidency. Yeah, okay, yeah, stick I'll around because I, I want I want you I want you to lay out because uh, that's yeah. serious what you just said. Civil know, service. Listen, y'all. A, a lot of y'all are in these civil servant jobs. They take over no more. My father used to say, get you a good government job because you, you, your personality is interesting. You probably going to get fired a few times, get you some st- stability and some security. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to manifest my own security. And I was right. But he was saying something right. That will go away if they have their way, please let us know, stick around. All right. Rachel sticking around because uh, I need to know how you get the presidency they already have the courts, federally and locally. They already have the courts, Rachel. They got the House, Rachel. They got, they're two seats away from the Senate, Rachel. They get the presidency in 2024. It's way more scary than just Trump being president with, with not having the House or the Senate and not having all the Supreme Court picks until he got them. 
this is more dangerous, but tell us exactly how it's going to happen. Rachel Bittacoffer just um, laid something out that 2024, and I I wasn't, I'm admittingly not putting as much focus on it as I should have, um, but you said some things today that made me sit up, uh, Rachel Bittacoffer, and lean in as well. 2024, Trump, DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, one of them wins the presidency. What's the game plan? I think this is very clear. And I think we have to believe people when they show us who they are. And when we're talking about a party that tried to overthrow the government, didn't apologize, and then obstructed the justice in it, you know, they're using the committee process to investigate the investigators for their own crimes to obstruct justice. So we need to take these people seriously. And what I would expect to happen pretty quickly is conversation about how po- they will, they do everything they do is, is, is um, projection and gaslight. So keep in mind as I make their argument that that's what you know, I'm presenting their, their logic. So what they're going to argue is that, you know, there's a big deep state conspiracy that the bureaucracy has been invaded by Democrats and socialists and woke left, woke left mobs, right? And um, there, there already is conversation amongst the, the like lower end of the media sphere for the Republican orbit about repealing the Civil Service Protection Act. Okay. Now, granted, you you would think, okay, well, they have to have control of the House, the Senate, and the presidency to do anything radical. Well, number one, if a Republican president wins, it's almost certain that they would uh, coattail what political scientists call coattails, control of both of those chambers. The House map is very favorable to Democrats if Biden wins and is performing well, but um, it could easily flip the other way. And the Senate is going to be a real lift. So if they were to be able to pick up the trifecta under, say, a President DeSantis, under a man mandate that they'd be riding from winning um, power. It, it would be very similar to how the Third Reich came about. The Nazis didn't seize power. They won it democratically and then used that power quickly to change and consolidate their power so that nobody could question their um, authority. And, and one of the ways that they did that, frankly, was to make uh, certain parts of the parla- the Reichstag there, which is their parliament, illegal. So they um, banned all the communists from being in the parliament, came after some of the political parties. And once you had control, they had control of the parliament, they packed, they passed the enabling act and people get stuck on that part. You go, Hey, well, the German Reichstag voted in the enabling act after the Reichstag fire to, you know, empower Hitler, but they leave out the part. Well, well, yeah, but that is not a vote that could have passed if they had not arrested all the communists. And, and back then in, in Nazi Germany in, in the 1920s and 30s, both communism and fascism, fascism as political movements were fairly robust. And, and, and in Germany, communism wasn't some you know fake rhetorical gaslight buzz word that Republicans used to win political debates. There was a real robust um, communist movement. It was, you know, coming within 10, 15 years of the Bolshevik revolution in Russia. Communism was a, you know, uh, being put forward as a viable alternative to capitalism. And there was a real fight in Europe, Eastern and Western Europe, as to which direction or which system to pursue. So, um, you know, it's really important for people to understand our parchments, our laws, and bills are only can protect us only so long as the people that are tasked with enforcing, protecting, and abiding by them agree with the norms of of not you know um, overstretched power. And what we've seen with Republicans, especially in terms of how they're running the House of Representatives this time, we've never had a House run like this. We've never had 
a speaker controlled by um, you know extremist elements of the party. They've always been more at the mercy or the um, needs of their what we call marginal members, the members that won in the swing races that make up the majority. This is a completely inverse scenario where McCarthy is really much more beholden to the MAGA base than he is to the much smaller portion of moderate Republicans that are left out there. And uh, it would not take a lot for a president to find an excuse. Uh, I think it would be a national emergency, something uh, along those lines that you know the Germans used to, um, to start needling away at our federal protections. And, and frankly, the court is very bad. The situation in the Supreme Court and the federal courts from all these Trump appointees is bad, but it has actually worked out to be not enough. Donald Trump didn't realize that when he tried to do a coup, right? It's he didn't. He, they were able to infiltrate a lot of of the justice system with unqualified justices. The Supreme Court justices are very ideological, but they have still sided on the on the norms of institutionalism and constitutional design in terms of cases like should Trump's tax records be released. Um, executive privilege claims, other things like that. We could see a scenario where, you know, under another Republican president, you know, they're, they're appointing justices that don't have the same regard for the Constitution. And it's just very easy. And, and another thing I'll point to is federalism. So people think, well, we have the federal government, we have all these state governments, we've got blue states, we'll never go along with any of this. Well, the Germans had a, the Nazis in Germany had a, had a solution for that too. And what it was, was to revoke federalism. They basically um, kept the state system. So the administrative components of states, because it's very hard to run a large country. Do you need the segmentation into states? But they solved their problem by centralizing all the state governors under Third Reich. So the, the orders came from a sense from centralized, centralized Berlin, from the um, you know, federal government, and, and they were administered down through these Third Reich state governors. And that's certainly something that we could see here. Obviously, we're talking about apocalyptic scenarios, right? And scenarios that I don't imagine the other half of America would take sitting down. So that's also potentially bad. We want to make sure that we do everything we can to put the Republican Party down in this 2024 cycle and force it to have a come to Jesus moment. It needs a reset. It's a reset that can only happen internally. And the only way to deliver that reset is for, is for rejection, a strong rejection out of the ballot box. We already saw after this um, disruption of the blue wave in 2022 that smart Republicans like Mitch McConnell, who's evil but smart, um, quite understood why they lost, that it's this extremism that Democrats are highlighting and making other people aware of that extremism now. And they got a big assist of that with the reversal of Roe v. v Wade. But I, I think that there is an element of the Republican Party would love to triangulate right now. They would like to put Trump behind. And although they're still always going to have all of the Republican character traits that Democrats dislike and hate, they're still institutionalists that believe in the rule of law and the constitutional order. Right. So, um, you know, anything that we can do to help keep the power of the federal bureaucracy away from the Republican Party, wh why they continue to be talking openly about national divorce and using the power of the House to obstruct justice into their own crimes is probably pretty prudent, especially when you consider how much of their rhetoric is, is um, you know, really designed to, to promote this idea that white people are under attack by efforts to uh, address racism. Well, we're going to have you keep coming back uh, to beat the drum, to beat the drum, to beat the drum. 
and I'm going to do a better job of not um, opening the doors to have these conversations, albeit valid, that will undermine the efforts in 2024 because too much is at stake. So I want to thank I you. I appreciate for, that, for Karen, so it. much. Yeah. It makes yeah, no, everything I mean, yeah. so much so much use. And here's the thing is I I get it. I get it, guys. I I have passions too. And there's things that drive me nuts. And I I what I'm trying to tell people right now is we must act strategically. Lives are on the lines, especially in our in our marginalized communities, trans people racial minorities of every stripe, but particularly the black community, which is already being, you know, through their rhetoric targeted for mass shootings and, and racist attacks. So we have, we have to keep our eyes on the big prize and understand that, that we must win in 24. There's nothing more important. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.